Okay, now, if you've got your Bibles, please, would you turn to your Bibles? And uh, I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. We're looking at uh, Joshua chapter 14 and verses 6 to 15. The question is, what does wholeheartedness mean to you? What does the word wholeheartedness mean? If you put your hand up, I'll hear your question, I'll repeat it, and then it will get out on the, uh, uh, on the uh, um, for, for those people that are at home. But what does wholeheartedness mean? Just a word to describe wholeheartedness. A hundred percent. I like that. Yeah. Somebody who's a hundred percent for something. Anybody else got another word? Yes, please. Chat room. Full commitment. Yes, excellent. Full commitment. Another word. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Yes, that's that's good. Somebody who's trustworthy because they are uh, uh, fully committed. Yes, good. Right. Well, let's let's have a look at the passage that we've got to uh, examine this evening. So it's from um, Joshua chapter fourteen. Now Joshua has come out of the uh, land of Egypt. He's been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and he's coming now uh, to a place called Gilgal. Well, he's there. Gilgal is just west of the River Jordan and just north of Jericho. That's where he is. He's with his family. They're about to take the promised land. That's where we're at. Caleb is this man who is... um, uh, We're going to look at him this evening. We're going to study what Caleb was like. And uh, as we read this passage... You'll understand why I asked you, what does wholeheartedness mean to you? So verse 6 of Joshua chapter 14. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, now that's not how some of you might pronounce it. I pronounce it Jephunneh because when I was in Sunday school, I was taught that Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were the only two who ever got through to the land of milk and honey. So I pronounce Jafani because it rhymes with honey, okay? <laughs> Good. So here we have uh, Caleb, the son of Jafani, the Kenezite, said to him, he was talking to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked with you uh, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, 
I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the uh, Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenezite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. So it would help if you open your Bibles and keep them open to uh, Joshua chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, at this passage. We're going to be considering what it is to be wholehearted. Uh, the dictionary describes wholeheartedness as, and I looked to you for some words, and some of those were uh, mentioned this evening, enthusiastic, somebody who's enthusiastic, somebody who's passionate, totally committed, unreserved, unstinting, 100% comes up here, unequivocal, committed, sincere, unconditional, just like Paul supporting that team that's right down at the bottom of the Premier Division. Some people are committed to lost causes, but the apostle, sorry, the, uh, uh, this man from the Old Testament, Caleb, was totally committed to the Lord, as we saw there, mentioned time and time again. So here we have Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He was a Kenezite. Now, Kenezites, and we had a, a very a helpful introduction to uh, the, the difference between the Jews and uh, from, who descended from Jacob when Dan was preaching on Obadiah. And we know that the Kenezites were a, a, a tribe of Esau. They were Edomites. And yet they'd left the Edomites and they had joined the tribe of Judah. So um, it mentions to us here in this passage that Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, was a Kenezite. So he was somebody that had been brought into the, the, uh, the tribe of Judah, but he'd been made one of the spies, they'd chosen him to be one of the 12 spies that when they got to the promised land, went into the land to spy it out and find out what was going on in the land that God had promised to them. So he was an original spy. Uh, and you can read all about that in Numbers chapter 13. He was one of only two who left Egypt and finished the journey and entered into the promised land. Everybody else died on the journey. But... Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, they were the only two that ever got through to the land of milk and honey. And uh, uh, God had preserved him. And now, when they were visiting, when they were spying out the land, it was Caleb that went into the hill country around Hebron. I could have brought a, a little glass. Well, I brought, brought a set of six glasses, Hebron glass. And they say it's unbreakable. Do you know, I've never wanted to drop it on the trial uh, the uh, tiled floors to find out if it, if it really is unbreakable because once you've done it, it's ruined. But uh, I've got these glasses from Hebron. I've been there. And it's a, a place that now visitors, when they go to Hebron, they say, get out before it's dark because it's a dangerous place. Uh, 
And so we find that uh, um, Caleb had been to Hebron. He'd spied out the land there. He'd brought back a report. And uh, he knew that it was a difficult place, but he believed that with God's help, they could conquer it. He was a patient man. Because when he'd had this meeting with, with Moses, Moses had said to him, because he brought back a favorable report, 12 spies were sent to spy out Canaan, 10 were bad, only two were good, Joshua and Caleb. And because uh, Caleb brought back a favorable report of the land, Moses had promised him that the land that he walked on would be his. And he was a patient man because now 45 years have passed and he still hasn't taken his inheritance. But now they're about to enter the land. He's come to Joshua and he said to Joshua, now is the time for my inheritance to be taken. Now, he was a good friend of Joshua. They'd left the land of Egypt together. They were the two spies that had stood against all the rest of the people, and they had been the ones that had said, God can win this land for us. In God's strength, we can overcome this land. And now, 45 years later, although he'd now become a man of 85 years of age, he was still vigorous, wanting to take up the land that God had promised through Moses to him. He was a man whose confidence was in the Lord. In Joshua uh, chapter 14, verse, uh, verses 69, we find that. And uh, then we, we find that also that, uh, that Caleb uh, was a man with a different spirit. Moses recognized this, and you can read the, the, the uh, comparative passages in the book of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 14, Moses, when he's speaking of Caleb, says, Not one of them will ever enter the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has uh, treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land um, he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. Now, um, sorry, it was, it was God that was speaking through Moses to Caleb, and God said in verse 24 of, of Numbers chapter 14, he said, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I wonder what it meant when God said that Caleb had a different spirit. Well, he certainly stood out from the rest of them. He wasn't afraid to be somebody that would stand up for what was right. And he trusted in God. And so he stood out from the rest, man with a different spirit. And he was not swayed by his peers. So difficult when you're the only one who believes something and everybody jeers at you and shouts you down. And that's the world that we live in today, isn't it? Where people who stand for truth, who, people who stand for the word of God are jeered at and they're often persecuted. I was reading today about uh, a man in the Anglican church who is, uh, was standing against what the bishops were wanting to vote through. And they were saying that he was, he was not uh, following the teaching of the church any longer, but going off on his own. And he was getting death threats through emails and other things, and nobody was bothered about it, but he was still standing for the truth. 
And that's what uh, Caleb did. He stood for the truth. He was loyal to God and Moses, and he served God, uh, not just practically, but spiritually as well. I'm sure that he was a man who would worship God and would be there on the Sabbath day rests, and he would be a man who worshipped God. He certainly knew God and was committed to trusting and putting his faith in God. What does wholeheartedness look like then in, in Caleb? Well, we know that he was realistic. He knew that the land that God had promised to him was a land that had giants in it. And these, uh, 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 the, these people that lived there, they were taller than, than most normal people. And, so, and there were lots of them. And they were living in fortified cities. And the, the other spies, when they saw this, they, they thought, we can't possibly conquer these people. We're, we're only little people. We're, we're not a, a trained army like some of them. And they were worried about how on earth they were going to conquer the land that God had promised to them. You see, they were just looking at the problem itself and not looking to the God that had rescued them from Egypt. Not looking back on the experiences that they had had on the journey when God had blessed them so tremendously. And although there were problems ahead... Caleb knew that God could overcome them. He remembered the kindness of God in delivering them. And he knew that victory would be accomplished, not by his own strength, but with the help of God. So he put his trust in God, and he knew that God could do great things through him. He was a, a realist. He was also humble. He knew uh, his own frailty, 85 years of age. C.S. Lewis said, uh, the first step to humility is to realize that I don't have it. It's a good thing to remember that, uh, you know, humility is something that other people may see in us, but sometimes we know our own hearts and we know how arrogant and the thoughts that go through our hearts and, and minds and how judgmental we can be of other people. And, but, but, uh, Caleb was a man of humility. He didn't boast about his achievements, but he gave God the glory for them. So he was a man of humility. He was a man of faith. He had a relationship with God. He knew that God would give the victory. He says there in verse 12, the second half of verse 12, 12 in our passage, the Lord helping me, we will drive them out. So he knew that his strength was not in his own physicality. His strength was in the Lord. That God would deliver uh, what he had promised to the children of Israel. And he had faith for the past. He'd seen how God had done things in the past. He now had present, uh, faith in God for the present. And he also had faith in God for the future. And he had vigor. 45 years uh, after Moses had promised him an inheritance, he still thought he had the same strength now that he was 85 years of, uh, 85 years of age. Now, that may have been true. I, I look at some other people <clears throat> that are around my age, and I think how fit they are and how, uh, how good they are for their age. And I'm fit in my mind. Believe you me, I'm fit in my mind. I think I could play 90 minutes of football any time, but... Uh, I know that the opposite is true. I would love to be able to do it. Now, Caleb, Caleb 
knew that there was a great battle, a great struggle that was ahead of him. He was the leader of his people, and he put his trust in God. And he said, you know, what we did in the past, we can do in the future, because our faith and our confidence is in God. They will drive out the, the, uh, the inhabitants of the land that God had promised to them because he had his faith in God. He still had his vigor. Now we look at Caleb and we see what a great man of God he was. And yet God was all the time over him and was caring for him. He kept him humble. Although he could have gone to Joshua and, and, and been an equal with Joshua, he didn't do that. He went to Joshua and he recognized that God had appointed, of the two spies that went into the promised land, God had appointed Joshua to be the leader, not Caleb. But Caleb didn't seem to have any problem with that. He still recognized Joshua as being the leader and he willingly went to him. And that reminds us of somebody who showed great humility in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus the greatest example of, of uh, humility. And when we talk about Caleb being a realist, the Lord Jesus was a realist. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, chapter 8. While we were still sinners, God could have, God could have abandoned us and said, these people have rejected me, and, uh, and I'm going to reject them. But God said that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to be nice people. I've been in churches where, where people think they have to reform their character before they'll be welcomed into the church. But God doesn't work like that. God takes wretched sinners. <clears throat> and of course, we can look at many others who are wretched sinners and say, well, they're worse than I am. But God who knows the details, God who knows your heart, God, who knows my heart, knows that we're still sinners. And even though we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He came and he suffered and he died for us. God was realistic. He knew that without him shedding his blood, without him taking our place and dying in our place, there would be no hope for us. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, the Lord Jesus Christ was a realist. He was a humble man. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we read, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The creator of the world, the man who threw the stars into space, the one who was there, whose voice spoke, and it happened. He became a man. And he came as a, a weak little baby into the home of, of a, a young couple, a carpenter, and he grew up there. And he was, was a, a humble man. He took upon himself the form of a, a servant. And when the Bible talks about servants, it's nearly always uh, akin to being a slave. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And being in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Not just any death, but the death on a cross. A cross that was reserved for criminals uh, who'd committed heinous crimes. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ came and humbled himself and took upon himself the, the sin of you and of me. And we remembered this morning, didn't we, how Jesus was in agony as he faced the cross, knowing what was, was to come. And he pleaded with God to be with him. And God blessed him. And God enabled him to go to that cross and to suffer and die, taking upon himself your sin and my sin. He didn't have to do it, but because he's wholeheartedly wanting to save you and me, that's why he went. A man of faith. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he's forever present. God doesn't have to have faith in you and me. But God is a faithful God. A God who keeps his promises. We saw there in, in the Old Testament there in Caleb that God, through Moses, had promised him the land of Hebron, a hill country, a, a country that was difficult to take, but a beautiful country nevertheless. God had promised it to him. And our God is a faithful God. And he's promised us a much better inheritance than something here on earth. He's promised us a wonderful place in heaven. And, and he said these words to us, didn't he, in John chapter 14, verse 5. He said um, that where I am, there you shall be also. That's what he was saying to his disciples. We all know the first part of that verse where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But as we read on, and, and Thomas says, you know, but, but where are you going, Lord? And he says, I'm going where you can't go. But where I, where I am, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me. That where I am, you may be also. He has promised us an inheritance that far exceeds the inheritance that was given to Caleb. The Lord Jesus is one who has great vigor. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and he's, he's got all the energy, all the power that he ever needs to overcome this world. People stand and they shake their fist at God. But one day he will overcome all the wickedness and all the evil. In fact, he's done it now. And although we live in a time where there are anti-biblical laws that are being passed, where there's rank Rebellion against God and the worship of gods that are no gods at all. I was reading something the other day that people have made a god of themselves. What I want is important, more important than anything else. And I will worship and I will do all I can. I will spend all my energy getting for myself what I want. And that's how the world is today. I must have what I want but the Lord Jesus Christ, he suffered and he died to give us something that is beyond our, our understanding, beyond our expectations. But he knows that it's the very, very best for us. So we're going to break up into some groups and ask some questions in a moment. But uh, the question has to be, are we wholeheartedly for God? And how do we, first of all, match up to Caleb? Where are, are we as, as, as wholehearted in following God and, and taking the inheritance that God uh, had promised to Caleb? Are we as, as uh, committed and wholehearted as was Caleb? You know, we may be 
practically devoted to serving the Lord in practical things. And this is, this is the, the thing that, uh, that worries me, I suppose, about this current age. We are very, very busy at being people that do things. And on the outward appearance, everybody says, what a wonderful person you are. And, and I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. And I know that as a Christian, you can be so busy doing things for God that you end up ignoring God. You're too busy running clubs, picking people up, doing this, doing that, that you don't leave yourself time to spend alone with God. Wholeheartedly committed to his service, but are you wholeheartedly, am I wholeheartedly committed to the Lord Jesus? I have to ask myself, do I really concentrate during my times of quietness with the Lord? Is my heart open to God to speak to me through his word? When I pray, am I really recognizing what it costs God to open the way for me to enter into his presence and to speak to him? Do I realize all that I have in the Lord Jesus, that whatever this world can give me is nothing by comparison with what God has reserved for me? And I have to ask myself again and again, I might be busy on the outside, I might be and look wholeheartedly committed to God on the outside, but on the inside, am I really wholeheartedly committed? I can walk around wearing my West Ham football shirt with the number 10 on the back and look like I'm a real West Ham fan. Now, how many times do I go to their games? Didn't even watch the match on television yesterday. Am I really a wholehearted, committed West Ham fan? Well, our Christian life can be the same. People can look at us on the outside and they can say to us, yes, you look to be wholeheartedly committed to God. But God is the one that looks on the inside. That's what God said to, to Samuel. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And when God looks on the heart, he says to us, are we really 100% enthusiastically committed to him? or just to his work. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we live in a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. And we know, Lord, that you have sent people many miles to share the gospel, and yet there are people in our own locality that are dying, dying a death without you. And Lord, we pray that our relationship with you will grow so strong that we will be your witnesses wherever we are whether by word, by action, or just by being there. Lord, we would remember those who are serving you out in places uh, like Turkey and Syria, where there are terrible things that have happened. No one can be blamed for what has happened, except it seems strange to me that high-rise houses should have been built where there is a known fault line and these earthquakes could happen at any time. And you promised us that towards the end of these days that there would be wars, rumors of wars, and earthquakes in various places. But we commit to you, those who are serving you, there in those places, that they would be strong in the Lord, that they would have courage and vigor and humility and faith in you to do the work that you've called them to. And we pray, Lord, that for ourselves, as we serve you in this land, 
whether it's serving in the church, whether it's being on our front line with our neighbours, with our colleagues at work, whatever it is, may we be wholehearted for you. May we give sacrificially in our service to you, for we know the greatest example of all was the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for sinners such as us. So bless us each one as we go to our front line, and may we serve you well, and may we give you the glory. We ask these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.